Hey, folks, this is Steve Vai, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks, so turn it up. Hi, this is Steve Morse, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 369 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, and heavy metal talk on the net. Episode 369, we are joined by uh, two special guests we have joining us from the band The Dixie Dregs. Uh, founding member and bassist Andy West will be on the line with us to talk about their uh, reunion tour, the original, original lineup. Uh, so we'll talk to him in just a moment. And also we're going to introduce you to an artist uh, many of you are probably familiar with, Keith Harkin, uh, who was at one time part of Celtic Thunder. Uh, he's now a solo artist. He's got a couple solo albums under his belt and is going to be doing a show in Pittsburgh on St. Patrick's Day weekend. So we will get to uh, Keith in just a little bit. But we're going to turn our attention to the Dix- Dixie Dregs, who will be doing a show at the Carnegie Library Music Hall in Munhall on the 22nd of March. Uh, they've got the original lineup back together for the first time in like 40 years. Uh, Steve Morris on guitar, Alan Sloan on violin, Rod Morgenstein, uh, many of you know from uh, Winger, uh, on drums. Steve Davidoff on uh, keyboards and saxophone and original founding member Andy West on bass. So we had an opportunity to talk to Andy West as he was getting ready for this tour about kind of legacy of the band, why everyone was able to kind of come back together now in uh, the state of... Kind of the music industry now versus when you know the the uh, Dixie Dregs were kind of in their heyday. So, without further ado, we're going to play you a little classic Dixie Dregs. We're going to give you that interview with Andy West. Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line founding member of the Dixie Dregs, Andy West. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm doing great, John. Thanks. Well, it's wonderful to have you. It's wonderful to have you back with the Dregs. Um, after all this time, I mean, this is it's literally been, I think, 40 years since Steve was in the band. Um, how, how did you all get back on one page, you know, get back together? <laughs> well, yeah, so... Uh, we got well. I don't know if we're, we are on one page, but we're certainly, 
you know, in a gang traveling together, which is great. Sure. Um, it, it it really just kind of was a timing thing and, and sort of circumstance and, you know, the kind of thing where it, 40 years since our release of the first album, Free Fall, and, you know, kind of the the fact that all of us were still around and in contact with each other and mm. thought it might be fun to kind of hang out and play, and so we did that. <laughs> it turned into this tour, which is just kind of amazing. So for for those not familiar, because, you know, I don't know that everyone knows the story of the band. I mean, was your decision to, to not play with the band, was it, you know, to pursue other interests or were there, you know, the uh, cliche musical differences or, or what exactly led to, you know, the kind of the different fractions and things of the band? Well, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, there was there was a lot of kind of business pressure at that time. You, you know, if you're, you're talking about the original, yeah. after we did the six, six albums and then split up, yeah. Well, you know, it was basically, there was a lot of, uh, we had a record deal which, which was part partway complete and record company decided they didn't want to give us the amount of money they said in the contract and mm-hmm. you know it was just sort of one of these uh, times are changing kind of things and we had been beaten around for so long it was just sort of time to take a break and and that turned into you know what it did which is a whole bunch of different things for different people yeah yeah so yeah when you listen to the music i know you know kind of growing up you know, I, I was in an era kind of after the Dixie Dregs and kind of found you guys backward through Steve Morris's catalog. You know, you, you, weren't, oh, cool. exactly, you weren't exactly the music I would say would have been in, you know, Top 40 or even, you know, album-oriented rock in some respects. So to see, you know, a label like Capricorn and then Arista promote this kind of music was great, but it was somewhat, you know, surprising to see this kind of music on labels like that. I mean, did you guys get a sense that you were kind of the you know, the odd ducks in the record label's roster, or how was that experience at the time? Yeah, we were definitely, uh, you know, odd ducks is not a, a term I've heard used uh, to characterize this, but it, but it certainly fits. Um yeah, we were, uh, I, I mean, I guess the, the, the way I would think of it is we defied easy classification or categorization. So, Certainly. you know, it was one of those kind of things where people were like always trying to figure us out. You know, what is it? You know, they've got this weird name. Oh, they live in the South. They're on Capricorn Records. But what? They're not Southern Rock, you know. Exactly. So, yeah, so it was always, you know, we just followed our our path. and And really it was based on, Steve's positions and the band's performance of those things combined with just finding our audience. Yeah. You know, continuing to play and having people respond. So so it all worked. You know, it worked to the degree that it did. And I, I appreciate what you're saying, kind of just like from a point of discovery, well, you know, how could this even be? Who knows? You know, just by force of will, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's When you listen to it, and again, I... Uh, guilty of growing up in the hair metal era, you know, where Rod, you know, my first experience with Rod was Winger. You know, he was the little short guy behind yeah. the drums in the Winger videos. And I'm like, okay, he played an album with Steve Morris. Steve Morris is on the front cover of every guitar magazine, but not on the radio. And then I listened to your band, and it was like, this is kind of like jazz meets Kansas. Um, you know, yeah. did, did you feel like when you were making music, did you kind of guys feel like you were making more jazz music than, than rock traditionally, or did you not really try to put classifications on it? 
Yeah, we definitely did not. And um, I would say that while we had exposure to jazz, we were not really, um, that wasn't our language. You know, that was not our musical language. So um, there was influence there. And of course, you know, having bands like Mavish and Orchestra and, you know, Weather Report and all those kinds of, you know, the, the fusion era, right? Right. Was, was incredible. But, you know, when you trace back those guys, you find a very different kind of DNA than you do with us, right? With us, it's all about the, the 60s and 70s rock, right? That's where we came from. And then we pulled the other stuff in. It wasn't the reverse. What was it like when, you know, as a younger band, when you were in the support role? I mean, were audiences, you know, were there some really weird pairings out on the road with you guys at the time? <laughs> yeah, there definitely were. But, you know, somehow we always we always managed to win them over. Like uh, I was telling someone recently, we um, and, and in retrospect, they're, they're kind of cool. We played, uh, we opened up for Muddy Waters in Boston. Which is just like what you know? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit of a head scratcher. It'd be a cool show, but it, you know, it's a head scratcher. It was cool, right? It was a head scratcher, and um, but it, but again, you know, the crowd worked it. when we played. Um, we played in uh, a bill with David Grisman Quintet, or yeah, Quintet, and that was when Mark Parrish was in the band. Uh, Mark Parrish, Mark O'Connor was in the with with Grisman, and that was really weird because. <clears throat> We were probably about equally represented in the audience, but but the Grisman folks were kind of in the front row, and so they they all had their hands over their ears when we played because we were like you know loud, rocky, sure, sure. yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's, and uh, it's crazy. And then we 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 also because of our name, I think, and 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 business association more than anything, we we played with all the southern rockers. I mean, Charlie Daniels, Molly Hatchet. You know, just on and on, right? Wet Willie. I mean, the thing that I think that that no one could ever dispute, it's, you know, kind of when they're going to go see you, no one's going to question your ability to play. And I think a lot of times when you get musicians, you know, despite the styles of music, when, when someone can flat out play, you know, no matter what, you know, tone on their guitar or whatever, um, People shut up and listen, you know. It, and it's I think that's what I kind of classify your album. You know, as soon as you put it on, you may not understand it, but you can tell that everyone in that band knows how to play their instruments, and it commands respect. Um, yeah, there's there's something going on there that will draw your attention in, and hopefully in a good way. You know, um, I mean, I, I think the one of the defining features of the Dregs is the um, the melodic aspect of it, right? I mean, it's not like we're playing sing-along music, sure. but nor were we, neither were we playing, you know, just edgy, extreme, you know, right. chops-oriented instrumental stuff. I mean, it, it always had a purpose, you know, the, the, the songs always told a musical story and took you on a journey somewhere, you know, and that was the whole point. But it wasn't, you know, to that level of... A snobbiness that you you know, and I don't even know if that's maybe the right term, but there are certain musicians you listen to that are so advanced sometimes that you feel like that ostracizes the audience. I don't feel that you guys. Well, you know, I, I, you're touching on an interesting point here because, especially in the early days, we did a lot of experimental stuff, stuff that we really liked, right? It was very interesting and weird, mm-hmm. but you know, when when the audience didn't appreciate it and people who normally would be open to more kinds of things, you know, we didn't want to pound them over a head with a hammer just because we said, oh, you'll, you know, eventually you, you, this will feel good, you know. It wasn't yeah. like that. 
Yeah, you get that, that feeling sometimes with some of the, the Miles Davis records. You listen to it and you go, okay, you know this should be good because people tell you it's good, but I don't quite understand it. Um, you know, I think yeah. your, your music is a lot more approachable. Now, when, when you guys, you know, the stars aligned and, you know, the five of you said, okay, let's get in the same room and, and try this again. Was the musicality, did it come back pretty easily? You know, because, I mean, you, you spent all the time together so long ago that, you know, you, I'm sure you could almost telepathically, you know, improvise and things like that. But how was that coming back all these years later? Yeah, okay. Well, I think um, to, to the point of um, just being able to grasp the music, I think it was natural. Mm-hmm. The thing that was that was challenging was was the um the technique mm-hmm. you know like we had been sort of not playing as challenging music and I'm sorry for the call center sound here yeah, that's okay. but <laughs> we'd just been playing um you know not as much challenging music and to and to go back into it so deeply that was the that was the thing that was um kind of well both interesting and wonderful but also really challenging uh, you know just but being in a room together and playing songs was was natural, you know. Right. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you guys, you know, have done such different things, you know, individually, that you know, yeah. co- collectively, what you you did was so unique that I'm sure it took some time to get back. Now, you were away from the band for you know a period of time, and you went into the you know kind of the business sector. How was that experience? Yeah. You know, did people you know ever stop by your desk at work and say, "Hey, can you sign my CD?" Or did they have any idea what it is you did? <laughs> yeah. So that uh, mostly no, right? Um, but surprisingly, you know, after the internet really started to, I mean, I, you know, this is like back before the internet, you know, yeah. uh, but it. it was a, a lot more people kind of in my later, the later part of my career started to recognize the fact that I had been a successful musician and, you know, kind of that it meant something. But but only really rarely or occasionally, wait a minute, there was a guy named Andy West who was a bass player, you know. Well, yeah, that's me. And, it was, you know, wow, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. But mostly not, you know. You have kind of not, not the most unique name in the world. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a, kind of an interesting thing. I was curious. Well, Andy, I want to thank you uh, yeah. so much for your time today. Again, you're coming in to do uh, Pittsburgh on the 22nd of March, and, and it's great to have you guys back. And uh, it's wonderful to see you back in Pittsburgh. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you uh, very much for the time, and um, we all appreciate it. We appreciate everyone's attention, and uh, you know, this is just. This is kind of a gift for all of us, you know, for us as performers and for the listeners. I mean, we feel a real sense of of um, community in that, you know, mm-hmm. so thank you. Oh, my pleasure. All right, a big thank you to Andy West of the Dixie Dregs for coming on the show and talking to us about getting back together with the original group. It's going to be a fantastic night of music again, March 22nd at the Carnegie Library Music Hall of Munhall. Uh, that's uh, tickets available now at Drusky Entertainment. Uh, you can find those on Ticketfly, I believe. Uh, so you don't want to miss that. It's not uh, often that the Dixie Dregs come to town, and obviously not often when they come with the original lineup. So worth uh, getting out and seeing that. So we're going to turn our attention now to another artist who will be visiting our fair city of Pittsburgh. His name is Keith Harkin. Uh, he's going to be at the Bricolage on the 16th 
of March, uh, doing a show on the weekend of uh, St. Patrick's Day. And as you'll tell from uh, the moment we start the conversation, Keith, obviously an Irishman, uh, fantastic uh, music. He's got a new uh, live album called In the Round Out, which is as stripped down as really an artist can get, uh, just himself. Uh, a friend on guitar, uh, he sings, he's got a looper, uh, which is, for those who aren't musicians, it's a little box that you can use to uh, play a portion of the song, and then it'll repeat the song, which is uh, to give it a little more uh, effect to it, but uh, it's a really cool music and a really intimate performance uh, caught on the In the Round. Uh, Keith's going to be doing songs from that, some of his classics from Celtic Thunder, as many of you may remember him, so... We hope you enjoy this interview. We'll play a little bit of Keith and we'll get into that interview.
we have on the line, Keith Harkin. How are you doing, Keith? I'm great. Well, what about Keith, yourself? I'm doing very, very well today. Um, you are going to be rolling into town uh, doing kind of a St. Patrick's Day weekend sort of thing in Pittsburgh on the 16th. You're going to be doing a, a show at the Bricolage um, and you just recently released a, a very intimate in the round album. Um, and, and for people who may have known you from your Celtic Thunder days, um, you know, certainly a, a different musical direction. Um, can you talk a little bit about what brought you to the in the round? You know, the very intimate, very stripped down raw show like that, how that came about? Yeah, well, I mean, in the round, that is my fourth record since I left Celtic Thunder. And, uh, it's funny, you know, I think after doing so many years with Public Thunder, people think that that's who you are as an sure. artist, where, you know, you're playing a part in a show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's exactly. Like, it's like Joey, it's like Joey from Friends. Everybody thinks it's Joey outside of Friends. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, as usual, I've been playing guitar my whole life. I was a solo artist before joining Celtic Thunder. Um, and I was even, when I was with Celtic Thunder, I was writing music for the show you know, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I, I just wanted, I just wanted people to see that, um, after all the years of smoke and mirrors, that I can actually play guitar, that I can actually write, and that I can actually sing, so yeah. instead of, like, recording a live record over the space of, like, a full tour, um, I just done it in one show, so that album is literally one take, um, and that is, it is what it is, uh, <laughs> and it's done very well, you know, it was up in bestsellers on Amazon, it got the number three on iTunes, singer-songwriter, so I was delighted with it. Yeah, now when you went in and did that show that night, was this a, a, a one-shot, no room for error? Did you record multiple shows in multiple nights, you know, just in case, or, how, you know, because that, that's a leap of faith to say, okay, we're going to do this entire album, you know, documented for all of time on tonight's show, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no, it wasn't even a tour. It was just uh, that's the way it was. And that's how I like. That is how I play, to be honest with you. Like, uh, the best way to capture me is to hear me live. Um, mm. You know, I'm not. I'm a performer more than anything, and I love getting in front of a crowd, and I love being under pressure. And I, that's when I honestly, I think I produce the best stuff. Yeah, I mean, and it, it came out fantastic. It's a you know very enjoyable album. You've got a lot of you know the great stories you know interwoven in your lyrics that, that kind of paint a picture. Um, kind of what impressed me though. I mean, I know it's just you and um, a friend of yours on guitar, but there's you know some pretty rich guitar sounds on that. I mean, do you do you play on the album? Correct. Yeah, I'm playing on every song. Yeah, so you've got, you know, it's not just a simple chord strumming you're doing there. There's some uh, pretty uh, interesting stuff there. Um, is that something you enjoy doing? I mean, do you, do you enjoy the guitar aspect of it, or just something you do as part of being, a, you know, kind of a singer? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I hate to use the term singer-songwriter, because I, I definitely am a singer-songwriter, but I think that was somewhere lost along the way of like, you know, singer-songwriters, I think most people think it's like a depressing guy who sings songs about his dying cat Yeah. as a singer-songwriter. You know, and to me, that's not what a singer-songwriter is. A singer-songwriter is someone who not only writes his own songs, but performs them. It doesn't mean you're like, you have to be pigeonholed and be this mm-hmm. guy who just is really dark and on a stage and quiet and deep and, yeah. you know, I mean, Lady Gaga's a singer-songwriter, the Beatles were singer-songwriters. It's right. just the term that's used, but somehow I think that was lost over the years. And um, when I played my guitar, my guitar is a big, big part of what I do. It's funny, whatever I I play piano and I play bass and drums and whatever else in the studio. 
Um, but it's funny when I play guitar, I even sing differently as opposed to what way I would when I'm playing the piano. And sure. Guitar's a big part of my life. I've been playing guitar for 22 years, hence the reason why I was in today getting acupuncture on my neck. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah, the guitar is always in my hand. And, and when I'm doing my solo shows, I do a lot of looping. So if anybody knows what looping is, like I record stuff real time on the stage whilst I'm playing. Mm-hmm. And then I layer it up and layer it up with backing vocals and extra guitar, and I play a kick drum on stage as well. So I kind of cover a lot of ground when I'm playing on my own. Yeah, I think that's a big, that's a big part of my show as well. Yeah, that is. You're, you're right of a singer songwriter. I think you know. I, I know from when I think of the term singer songwriter, it immediately brings up you know the likes of James Taylor and Jim Croce, and you know very yeah. deep, meaningful. But you know there is more to it. I mean, it, you know as you've proven. Um, I have to ask about it. I've seen you know several clips of you live. Uh, the acoustic guitar you have that has kind of the kidney-shaped sound hole that's above the strings, What what is that? That's a very unique yeah. instrument. called McPherson Guitars, and they're made in Sparta, Wisconsin. Um, okay. Quiet Weed Town, Sparta, Wisconsin. And the guy who makes them is a, if anybody hunting, he makes the fastest arrows and bows in the world. And his guitar factory is joined onto this massive bow and arrow factory in Sparta, Wisconsin. Um, and I've been playing them for a long, long time. Uh, Matt McPherson, who sort of invented them, has yeah. a company before him, and he honed in the, the sound. And he's like a crazy engineer, frequency scientist. Right. <laughs> and he's a guitar player and he's a lot guitars. And I mean, I own a studio myself, and I've collected gear my entire life and mm-hmm. guitars. And whenever I started getting acoustics, um, I literally gave up on buying acoustic guitars. That kind of ruined it for me <laughs> because right. you know it's like the ever-ending quest to find the, the perfect guitar. And I, they're not for everyone. Everyone's different. But I mean, I've got one of them that I have played every night for ten years, and mm-hmm. I've never once got a bed up or anything done to it apart from cheap the strings. And they put that in the context for someone who doesn't play guitar. That's like that's like driving a van ten hours a day um, for ten years and never changing the oil. Yeah, it's it's very unique. I, I was wondering, do you get a lot of different kind of sounds out of it? Being that the sound hole is in a different, you know, more than you know, less traditional place, I should say, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, they are a different sound. They're, I mean, they're. I would argue they're a better sound. You know, mm-hmm. um, nine times out of ten, a sound guy who's never heard of me before, if he's doing my sound, he literally come up and say to me, "I've never heard a guitar that sounds that good plugged in," and I'm like, "Yeah, yep, I know." Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're they're a fantastic. And they're like they're basically like a Rolls Royce. They cost a small fortune, and um, they're a fantastic piece of gear. I mean, they've always been very kind to me. Yeah, it is beautiful, and it's certainly you know it is. It's it's kind of a it's an eye catching instrument. You know, I think everyone you know is so used to seeing that sound hole where it is. And I saw that picture, and I'm sure you get asked about that from time to time. So thank you for indulging that. Um, no worries. When you on your current tour now, will you be doing most of the in the round album, or how do you? I mean, obviously you're probably not doing many from your Christmas CD, but what what kind of yeah, set yeah. list are you putting together right now for these shows? I cannot, you know what? I'm not like as I say. I just for me, it's really about having a good time on stage. I love performing. It's the only two hours in the day that I don't have to think. Um, I write a set list and. I never really stick to it, <laughs> yeah. you know. But I will be playing songs that have been around. Um, as I was saying earlier, I'm a singer-songwriter and I'm constantly writing music. So this tour, I've got about five or six new tracks that I've been trying out uh, on the audience the past few nights because the tour just started a few days ago. Um, so it'll be a mixture of like one or two from my first record, 
some from on Mercy Street, some from in the round, and uh, new material with uh, one or two like uh, songs, just like cover songs that I love in there. Um, but it's not like uh, I'm not the kind of person that rehearses a show and that is it for the tour. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't even like to rehearse. I hate rehearsing because I find that you lose much of that. Um, I don't know. Spontaneity. Like I, 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 yeah, I don't like I don't like getting on stage and being blase and knowing the inside out. You know, some yeah. of the songs that I done like two nights ago with the first show, I hadn't played them in like nearly a year. Right. And I love that and that in a weird kind of way. That's just who I am. I love that weird kind of twist and excitement when I'm about to play. Yeah, that's got to be quite a departure from your days in Celtic Thunder when you had you know all the visual aspects of a show. And as I think any musician who's touring will tell you, you know, if you've got video screens and pyro and lights you you don't have room for improvisation you can't you know just call out a song um that's got to be very yeah. freeing to be able to do that um and, and certainly yeah, play I mean, to, to your incitement of it yeah i mean I, I had a great time with celtic thunder you know but as, as everybody changes in their life and you know mm-hmm. when i first joined off of celtic thunder i remember thinking i'm only going to do one tour Right. Um, because it wasn't really, it wasn't entirely my bag. Yeah, I done the job well, and I, and I really had a great time and met mm. those amazing people and learned a lot from it. But you know, I was a rocker and a roller, and I played in clubs and I was recording in dirty studios in London, doing all my solo stuff before that. It just, it was something that happened, you know. Right. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for it. But you know, Kelly Summers different to what I actually am as a person. You know, it's every single footstep on the stage is choreographed. Every hand movement is choreographed. Every word is to a click in your ear, um, you know. And after doing something for that long, when you didn't really intend to do it that long, and you know, it it did become monotonous after a while. And um, as much as I loved it, I'm so much happier working on my own behalf now and just doing my own thing, you know. And I think, you know, you learn a lot over you, you mature with age, and life's too short, you know. I think you have to do things that you want to do for yourself more than anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great point. I mean, it it's great to have, you know, the safety net. You know, we don't want to call it safety net, but you know, the the big production, the you know, successful tour. You know, it's still touring to this day. You know, that um, it was just on PBS last night. They had the Celtic Thunder. But I think you know, sometimes artists, you know, some of the really great artists get kind of that itch to create, and you know, and you're in a situation where you you know, want to be able to do your own thing or go in a different artistic direction. You can't necessarily do that under the guise of, you know, a production like that. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, that when you when you leave for a 60-city tour on Celtic Thunder, every second of that tour is exactly the same from the mm. day it starts to the day it yeah. ends, you know? Yeah. Um, and I understand that's the way those... I mean, if, for people who don't know music, that is the way every big production show mm. that you go and see is, sadly, nowadays. You know, it's all to a click, it's all to a timer, it's all to a stopwatch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm that I'm the guy who loves to go see. I went to see Neil Young last year, um, Belfast in Northern Ireland, and I remember he took out his guitar, Black Beauty, and he normally plays for like 20 minutes the solo on Black Beauty. And I said to Kelsey, my wife, I was like, I'm going to go to the toilet because he's going to still be playing when I come back. Yeah. And I love that. I love yeah. guys who just go with the flow. If there's an excitement in the room, they get it faster. If it's slower, they slow it down. Yeah. And you know, you cannot program that. You can't learn that. That's yeah. something that just as naturally comes to a creative or a musician. Yeah, yeah. I'll personally, I'll blame a lot of those giant video screens at concerts with the pre-recorded video. I think, in a lot of ways, it, it handcuffed even some of the great bands, you know, because you've got to play to what's behind you on the screen for the. You yeah, know, for sure. Even back. even if you look at the the big DJs now, like the mm-hmm. DJs now, literally, because their whole show is a lot about lights to every right. beat, and their, their whole show is literally 
a, a memory stick mm-hmm. and they just stand there. Yeah, and that's not that's not me being like rude. That is that is the way that works. Sure, you know? I mean, and it's, kind of, it's so sad because as a musician, and I used to play in a dance band whenever I was eighteen when I lived in London, and we had like a fifteen-piece dance band, and we were called Rose Grooves, and we just went with whatever was happening on the night, and you know, it was so freeing to do it like that. It must be, you know, it, as a creative person, it must be very difficult nowadays to, to have to try and keep up with the appearances of all these other shows. Mm. Yeah, I mean it is. It's it's a competition out there, you know, for each of the bands that come into a city, you know, with a tour and things like that. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a catch twenty two. Um, but again, you're coming in on the sixteenth. Uh, your album in the round is out now. Uh, you're going to be, and that's a DVD as well. Um, you're going to be coming in to do a show at the Brickell Lodge on the sixteenth. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. um, do you are you writing for a, a forthcoming album at this point, or are you is that still a little too yeah, far off? Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, I've just literally, about a week ago, I booked myself until the end of the year touring. I think I've got like two months off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm either going to record it sometime this year or early next year. Uh, that's my next. Really excited about it because some of the songs that I've been performing recently, new ones, seem to be the ones that people have liked the most out of anything I've written. Yeah. So we'll watch this space. Yeah, that's a fun way to do it. You know, you can get, you know, right there in, in these, you know, intimate shows, you can see facial reactions and things, how people are digging music right as you're playing it. And that's that's the great way to do it. You know, you immediate feedback yeah. and, and know what people love. Field testing. Exactly. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming again, Keith. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and we will see you when you get into Pittsburgh next week. Thanks, John. All the best. Thank you very much. Already right, again, a thank you to both our guests, Keith Harkin. Uh, who will be on the at the Bricolage on the 16th of March, and also Andy West of the Dixie Dregs, who will be at the Carnegie Library Music Hall of Munhall on the 22nd doing a show. We want to thank you for taking the opportunity and the time to listen. Uh, you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, are all forward slash ironcityrocks, and you can reach us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you on guests you might be interested in hearing, uh, things you like about the show, things you don't like about the show, people you're tired of hearing from, uh, or just general comments, criticisms, whatever uh, you'd like to get off your chest. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. So until next time, again, thank you so much for listening.